Don't you just hate it when you walk into a room and you get there and you realize that you do not remember why you just came in that room? I'm sure no one else has done that before. You say to yourself, why did I come in here? I mean, you stop in the middle of the room. Why did I come in here? I know that I wanted something or that I I was going to do something, but I can't for the life of me remember what it was. I'll be honest with you, one of the things that I do to try to trigger myself, I will go back into the room I came from and walk back into the room and kind of, okay, hit, hit me with it, what, what was it? Just to be able to remember what that was. And the reality is that we don't always remember. Sometimes we're like, well, I'm just going to have to go on with my day and Maybe it'll come to me and maybe it won't. I want you to hold on to that that feeling for just a second. And I want to remind you that in the Old Testament, we are given more than 600 commands. 600 commands. In the New Testament, it's over a thousand commands. But if we kind of categorize it, we can bring that number down to about 800. So between the Old Testament and the New Testament, that's over 1,400 things that we're supposed to remember. And I can't remember why I'm standing in my kitchen. Can anybody identify with that at all? How in the world am I supposed to remember the 1,400 things that the Bible is telling me are commands when I can't remember the simplest thing? Even if we could remember. Even if we could remember every single command, we wouldn't be able to keep them. We would fail. The Bible says that every single one of us, I know we're not supposed to do this, but look around the room. Look around the room. Every single one of us fail to hit God's mark. We all sin. So even if we had all 1,400 of those commands memorized, we would still fail. Have you ever heard of the acronym KISS? No, never heard that. Have you heard of the band KISS? <laughs> they, were, they were like in Escanaba the other day or something like that. I was like, really? These guys are still doing this. Time to get a different job. Keep it simple. Just one person's going to... Thank you, Marie. Stupid. Keep it simple, stupid. Okay? Do you know that Jesus believes in that acronym? 
Keep it simple. How many of you have ever said to God, man, God, I'm stupid. You're going to have to help me. I, I say that frequently. Frequently. Jesus takes those 1,400 commands found in Scripture and he boils them down. Men, you're going to love this. To just two. How many of you think, all right, now that's a little more manageable, right? That's a little more, man- I think I, I might, probably one out of two for sure, it's like, it's like going to the grocery store and your wife has given you three things and you're like, I got two of them, but that third one is just escaping me. I tell my wife, would you text that to me? So I, and, and she's so sweet, she does. She texts me so I can make sure that I get everything that she wants. Jesus boils it down to just two things. They're found in Matthew chapter 22. If you have your Bibles, feel free to turn to verse 36 there in Matthew chapter 22. Otherwise, it'll be on your screen. Let's read it. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? This is the the religious lawyers, the Pharisees, the Sadducees are asking Jesus this question. Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. So the answer that Jesus gives, we have come to understand to be the great commandment. In fact, Jesus in Mark chapter 12, verse 31, says there is no commandment greater than these. And I want you to know that the word commandment is singular, and yet he says greater than these. That's plural. So Jesus is taking the question of what is the greatest command, singular, and his answer is plural. We're going to talk about that. But the first thing I want to establish is just the context. Let's, let's talk about the context of this conversation that Jesus is having. I mentioned that these were religious lawyers that are asking this question of Jesus. You think, man, they, they really must want to know what the greatest commandment. Jesus, tell us, what, what's, the, what's the greatest one? But I, I'm, I'm sorry, that's not really what their motivation was. You see, I mentioned that these were religious what? Lawyers. That's what we would, in, in our vernacular today, we would call them lawyers, but they were religious lawyers. They were lawyers regarding the law of Moses. They weren't asking because they wanted to know. They already knew. You see, each day they were taught to pray a specific prayer called the Shema. We find it in Deuteronomy chapter 6 and verse 5. I'll read it to you in just a second. Love the Lord your God, it says, with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. They had been taught this. These religious lawyers, they're like our lawyers today. They never asked a question that they didn't know the answer to. That's a good lawyer. 
A good lawyer will not ask someone on the stand a question that the lawyer himself does not already know the answer to. So they weren't asking Jesus so that they could find out. They were asking him because they already knew the answer. And this simple Galilean who was uneducated, they were going to test him. Because Galileans were known to be uneducated. They were, unknown, they were known to be very simple people. You see, these religious lawyers, they were used to heaping up laws on the people to make it difficult for them. In Matthew chapter 23, verse 13, Jesus says, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites! You shut the door of the kingdom of heaven in people's faces. You yourselves do not enter, nor will you let those enter who are trying to. As if the 600 Old Testament laws were not difficult enough, these religious lawyers were trying to make it more and more difficult for people by bringing all of these additional laws and heaping them up on the people and they became a burden to the people and no one could live up to them. You know, in the history of the church over the past 2,000 years, the church has been really guilty of this, making it more difficult for people to find God, making it more difficult for people to worship God. Some of you may have grown up feeling that very thing, that the church that, that, that you were exposed to or grew up in, rather than, than drawing you in and making it easier to find God and have a relationship with Jesus, they just made it harder and harder all the time. Next, let's talk about the complexity. You see, there's a problem with living according to the law. James, the brother of Jesus, in his letter, second chapter, verse 10, he says this, for whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles at just one point is guilty of breaking all of it. Did you hear that? You keep 599 of the 600 and you fail at just one, and James says you are actually guilty of breaking all 600. Do you think that makes it feel easier to worship God, to serve God? Don't forget now there's another 800 in the New Testament. There's another problem with trying to live by the law. Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 1 the whole verse is up there on the screen, but I'm just going to take out a couple pieces here. He talks about the law, and it can never make perfect those who draw near to worship. So those 600 laws in the Old Testament, those 800 commands in and of themselves, the, the law does not make it so that we can, uh, that'll never make us perfect 
as we draw near to God in worship. Paul says it this way in Romans chapter 3, verse 20. He said, therefore, no one will be declared righteous in God's sight by the works of the law. Rather, through the law, we become conscious of sin. Jesus came to do what the law could not do. Remember when Jesus actually said, I didn't come to abolish the law. I actually came to fulfill the law. Jesus didn't come to help us fulfill the law. He came as the fulfillment of the law. Jesus came to do in us what the law could not do. Jesus came to uncomplicate things. To go from 600 down to 2. Jesus said this in Matthew chapter 11, starting at verse 28. He said, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Jesus said, hey, those 600 laws, those 600 commands, those are heavy. Those are heavy, heavy burdens, and my burden is light. My burden is light because what you need to do is love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul, and love your neighbor as yourself. One breath, you can say it all. You see, we get weary when we try to live under the law. We get weary when we try to live under rules. We've all heard people talk about why they don't come to church, why they don't want to even believe in God, because have you seen all the rules that these people give you? Have you seen the list? It's nothing but rules. You, can, you gotta do this, you can't do that. And that literally turns people off because the burden of living under it is so great. Jesus boils it down to two things. And by the way, the enemy loves it. He loves the laws. He loves it because people get discouraged and people want to walk away and people turn their back on God because there's no way I can do it. And you know what? They're right. There's no way they can do it. There's no way we can do it. Jesus boils it down to just two things. Jesus does what the, what, what the law cannot do. He breaks down the complexity and he makes it simple for us. So if you've been thinking that this whole God thing, this whole Jesus thing, this whole church thing is just too complicated, you're listening to the wrong thing. You're listening to the law. Jesus said, I have come to make it uncomplicated. So let's look at the connection, okay? Because Jesus takes 1,400 and he breaks them down to two and then he connects them together. He makes them literally inseparable. He said, loving God and loving your neighbor are connected and vice versa, all right? You see, it's impossible for us to love God 
and not love people. I'm going to read somebody's mind this morning. Why not? I'd really like that. In fact, I think I've been quite successful at that in my life. Sometimes that's, that's what we, we feel. Sometimes that's what we think. Sometimes it's even how we want to live. I'd like to give that a try, Pastor Kevin. Can I love God and just not love people? John chapter, or 1 John chapter 4, verse 16, John writes this, and so we know and rely on the love God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. So God is love, and if we love him, then we will love It's impossible to love God and not people. It's literally impossible. Because if the love of God dwells in us, we will naturally love others. Let's flip it around. You know, I, man, I want to love people, but I don't know if I really love God. You see, it's impossible to actually love people and not love God. What are we talking about loving people without loving God? It's it's a a selfless concern for the well-being of others. We call it altruism. I think of Feeding America. For a lot of the world, Feeding America is altruism. It's simply having a selfless concern for the needs of other people. But let me tell you something, the reason that we're out there the second Thursday of every month is not altruism. It's because our motivation is to obey and love Jesus. Our motivation is the very love that God has shown us. We are showing others. One of my favorite parts of the day when we have Feeding America is the the five minutes or so that we gather up into a circle, introduce the new people that are there serving, find out what organizations are there with us today, what businesses have come and brought their, their staff with them. And then we pray. We don't, we don't, we don't ask if, if we can pray. We, we, just, we just pray with them. I don't know what the values of their organization are, but we're praying. And we are praying that we will be able to bring the love of Jesus to the cars in that parking lot with a box of food. Our motivation is loving Jesus. You know, it's literally Jesus that has taught us what love is. We really don't know what it is. You might have been using the word your whole life, but until you meet Jesus, you don't know what it really is. 
First John chapter 3, verse 16, John says this, this is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. Jesus takes the two commands of loving God and loving our neighbor, and he welds them together and says you can't do one without the other. The two are one law. They're inescapably connected. First John chapter four, John says, we love because he first loved us. Whoever claims to love God yet hates a brother or sister is a liar. For whoever does not love their brother and sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. And he has given us this command, anyone who loves God must also love their brother and sister. Our capacity to love other people comes from God. It comes directly from him. If we claim to love God but we hate others, we're liars. It's impossible to love a God that is unseen if we don't love those that are seen, whether it's our families or or people in our community. It's impossible. Love is not a choice. It's a byproduct. It's a byproduct of understanding that God loved us first. So that brings us to the culmination. What happens as a result of this love? I love to see it when the love of God breaks down walls. I love to see it when people come in contact with it through the life of another person and they melt. Their heart becomes butter because of the love of God demonstrated through another, another person. God works through people, friends. God expresses his love for us through people. This lost world, they need someone that knows Jesus to declare the love of God to them. John chapter 13, verses 34 and 35, Jesus said, a new commandment I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Loving people matters. It matters. It reveals to the world who we are. As I close this morning... I want to tell you a story from my own life. Some of you may have heard this before, and if you have, forgive me. A number of years ago, my closest friend and I were grouse hunting down in Iron River. And while we were there, we got in an argument over hunting dogs. (laughs) Don't ever, don't ever talk about hunting dogs with another guy that owns a hunting dog. Don't compare them, whatever you do. And, and it just, the, the whole, it just exploded. 
And I, I sat there in shock. I was, I literally, I, I am a grown man and I am in tears. And we couldn't figure it out. And it took several hours before we felt like we could leave. And that relationship was changed. Every time my phone would ring and I would see his name, I just had this, this feeling in my gut. And I, I didn't want to answer that phone. God used someone in my family to speak to me and say, listen, this relationship that you have, something's gone on. I don't know what it is, but something's happening. It's not the same. And if you're not careful, you're going to lose it forever. I felt such a conviction. I sat down one day at the computer and I wrote a letter. Scathing letter. I mean, I got it all out. All the, all the infection that was in my heart, I got it all out. And I thought, okay, now what do I do with this letter? And I realized that I didn't need to send it to my friend. This was for me. This letter was for me to be able to forgive. And I decided that day I was going to forgive. And the next time the phone rang, I no longer had that feeling in my stomach. And I knew I had forgiven. You see, a lot of times we say love God and love people, but when it comes right down to it, we really struggle. Because sometimes things get in the way and we fail to forgive. As we close our service today, I'm just going to invite you to stand all across this place. Jesus told his followers, <clears throat> when you're worshiping God in the temple, that was their context, and you realize that you have something in your heart or, or someone else has something in their heart against you, Leave your, your offering where it is and go find that person and make it right. Friends, if we are going to be able to go from 1,400 down to just two, if we're going to be able to keep the two, we're going to have to forgive. We're going to have to forgive. This morning, I'm just going to invite you to bow your heads and close your eyes. Father, I believe this is a word for, for the body of Christ today, not just Silver Creek Church, but for the church. You've simplified it. You've taken all the complexity out of it, and you've taken it from 1,400 commands to two, love God and love people. And man, we, we love God, but it's hard to love people. 
And today, Lord, I, I pray for my, my church family that may be struggling with unforgiveness in their hearts. They are so thankful that you've, you've made it simple, but even in that simplicity, it's challenging. And they recognize because the Holy Spirit in these moments has been pointing out in their hearts a relationship, a friendship, and they realize I need to make that one right. So Father, I, I want to pray right now for each person that that includes in this room. In this moment, if that's you, if you have sensed the conviction of the Holy Spirit this morning the way that I did, I want you to lift your hand up. Just lift it up to the Lord. Yeah, there's a lot of hands that are there. You can put them down. As we close this morning, I want to close with prayer. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to invite some people that feel confident to do this. You, you know who you are. If, if it's a question, it's okay. If you, if you feel that, that God wants to use you in this, but I want to have some people be able to pray with you in the next just two minutes. So maybe you're a part of the leadership here at the church. Maybe you're not. It doesn't matter, but you're a mature believer in Christ and you want to pray with someone else. I want you to step out from where you are and come and and, and come stand here at the front facing our people. I want you to do that and do it quickly. Let's, let's move quickly. Yep. Yep. Just feel confident. Yes. Thank you. Yes. And if you're one of those people that raised your hand a moment ago, these people want to pray with you. They want to encourage you. They want to pray over you that you would be able to forgive so that you can take what Jesus has done by removing the complexity from the law and making it simple to love God and love people. If that's you, if you feel the Holy Spirit moving and working right now in your heart and in your mind, I want you to just move out from where you are and find one of these people and let them pray with you this morning. Would you do that? Don't be afraid. But I want you to do that. Father, we acknowledge, God, that we We want to love you and we want to love people. But the reality is that sometimes people get in the way of that. And God, we ask you today to forgive us. We ask you to forgive us when we 
When we get something, God, that stands in the way of loving other people. Maybe it's an offendedness. Maybe someone has wronged us in some way. Maybe we've done something insensitive that's caused a rift in the relationship. And we're just too proud to go back and to restore that relationship. God, I pray that the conviction of your Holy Spirit would work today in us. And God, I pray that as the body of Christ, as the church, that we would be able, God, to keep it broke down the way Jesus has broken it down for us, to love God and love people. And if we love God, the natural byproduct is loving people. And when there's an offense, God, we're going to restore that in Jesus' name. God, we thank you today because you're moving in our lives. We're confident of that. And God, we ask you today that you would bring us to a place where we can forgive and release and love people the way you've called us to because this is part of the greatest commandment to love God and love people. In Jesus' name we pray, amen, amen.